Hello and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Well, folks, it's the first week of May. <laughs> you know, we've made it this far through quarantine. And, uh, you know, the thing I'm most disappointed about this week is uh, that we couldn't celebrate Cinco de Mayo in style. But Cinco de Mayo did fall on Taco Tuesday, so <laughs> we at least made the most out of it. True enough, true enough. And we'll just have to make up for it the rest of the year, hopefully. Um, this week, we are really excited to bring you the second episode in our first series about mental health. Uh, this week, we are talking with Michelle Erickson-Jones, a fourth-generation farmer in Montana who farms wheat, malt barley, safflower, sunflowers, corn, alfalfa, forage grains, and also maintains a small cow-calf operation with her husband. Michelle and I met uh, back in 2016 when we both attended the Wheat Industry Leaders of Tomorrow seminar and conference hosted by Monsanto, and we got to know each other a little bit there and um, you know, really, really respect each other coming from our diverse backgrounds, me in the dairy industry and her in her crop production side. And um, she's been very open about uh, her struggles with mental health and um, has put together a lot of really good resources and posts and videos about that uh, for the greater ag industry. And, you know, she's bringing that story to us today and we're really excited to, um, to learn a little bit more, to hear her perspective, some policy ideas, and to bring some hope to agriculture. So Michelle, would you wanna introduce yourself just a little bit more for us? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um... So yeah, that's pretty much sums up what we do on the farm. Um, outside of that, obviously I'm heavily involved in egg policy. Um, I was the first female president of the Montana Grain Growers Association. I served on the National Association of Wheat Growers Board. I'm also active with Farmers for Free Trade. And um, currently I'm sitting on an advisory committee for the FCC. And I've also become, uh, I do a lot of media work. I do a lot of outreach for farm policy as well as um, a lot of stuff on egg mental health as it happens. And prior to coming back to the farm, I worked for UPS and um, Amazon in logistics. I have an MBA in operations management and um, also mediation and dispute resolution. So that's kind of my background. Um, fast forward to present day, I farm with my husband and we also have two small children, um, Will who is four and a half and Tate who is three. Uh, very impressive background all across the board and um, yeah thank you for sharing that with us and and thank you for being here today to talk about mental health and agriculture we really do appreciate it and we're excited to to dive into uh, your experiences and, and your perspective on this yeah yeah me too well and it's a it's a hard topic and we appreciate you being open with your current social media platforms and everything you've been on and we we look forward to diving into that a little bit, but working towards continuing to break the stigma that agriculture has with mental health, because it's, for us, we're tired of, of not being able to talk about it or not being able to share where we're at with a certain situation because it's against the status quo or against what we think our neighbors are gonna think of us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely in a topic that hopefully you know, continued awareness will bring it more out into the open and, you know, allow people to feel more comfortable to talk about it because it, it is definitely still a problem for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we've mentioned it, but it's been sort of a hot topic in agriculture over the last couple of years. Um, mental health has been 
especially after that study was published about um, the rate of farmer suicides. But in my opinion, at least what I've seen, it seems like no one has been really truly vulnerable when it comes to talking about it. You know, we get hotlines to talk to strangers, the whole it's okay to not be okay thing. Um, but it seems like precious few real resources um, or real life stories about how to cope. And Michelle, you have been very vulnerable on this stage. Um, I remember when I first read your post about postpartum depression several years ago, I was blown away by your bravery and your courage and your openness um, to talk about this issue online. And, um, you know, at the time I was receiving treatment for depression and anxiety, I still am, but I was so ashamed at that time of the diagnosis that sharing it with anyone beyond my family, um, my husband, my parents, really, um, let alone a blog post on social media, was you know, just astounding to me. And I guess, how did you get to the point of, of being that openness and realizing that this is something you need to talk about? You know, I don't really know what drove me to put it online because it's funny. I actually, it went online before I even told my dad, which I don't think he really appreciated, but <laughs> um, it, for some reason there was just something that was, it was really a relief to say it out loud. I think it was really a relief to know that I wasn't supposed to, like, that this wasn't somehow just the new normal that, um, you know, cause I, it just felt like, you know, I didn't feel like myself and then like to be validated that I really like something really was wrong and to be able to say it out loud just was, I, it's hard to explain what, you know, the type of relief that it was. Um, but that's just what it felt like for me was that I felt like I needed to say it out loud to, you know, the entire world basically. And it was really a relief to be able to say it. Um, and I, I wish that other people were, you know, felt like they would be received. Um, you know, there, I never have had any blowback from putting it online. I've never had anyone, you know, there hasn't been um, anyone that, you know, that has looked at me differently than um, before, I guess. There hasn't ever been any negative consequences for saying it out loud. And so I think that that has been encouraging and what I think that other people, you know, should be able to take from it is that it is, it is worth reaching outside your comfort zone and finding, you know, finding out that, first of all, you're not alone, but there are other people that, you know, you may be able to talk to about it that you didn't know, you know, had struggled. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing that I've learned through this too, is that, um, you know, the more you talk about it, the more you realize how many people have dealt with some sort of a mental health struggle. And there's, there's a community there, you know, there's people who can help you figure out the right counselor and find a doctor who can really help you, you know, figure out the path you need to take. So, um, I, I appreciate what you're saying for sure. Because even my, you know, once my, um, even my best friend, like I, we, I'd never talked to her about suffering from postpartum depression. We have two kids or we have, she has three now, but we have kids that are almost the exact same age. Like we had never talked about it, but she reached out after I had put it online and said, you know, I've, I think I've been suffering from it for a long time. And now we're able to, you know, talk about it. And both of us have gotten treatment for it. But it took that, you know, just for even for myself to say it too much. It was easier to say it to people that, you know, rather than to sit down one on one and say it, it was easier to say it from behind a screen and then make those connections, I think, might have been something to do with it as well. Well, and I wonder, too, if like, the stigma we're putting on mental health is more of an internal stories we're telling ourselves about 
the way people are going to perceive us rather than what people are actually thinking. I think that's probably very true. I think probably it's rooted in some truth, like, you know, a couple of generations ago, but it's not necessarily how we're going to treat people today. Um, and even, you know, obviously on social media, you run the risk of keyboard warriors or someone saying something, you know, dumb, but the vast majority that bother to reach out, especially when you say something about mental health are very, very positive and well worth it. And it's, yeah, there's just something easier about it to say it from, you know, I can have a conversation with anyone about it now because I'm already out there. But for some reason, I think there was something about just saying it behind the keyboard, you know, even though it was going out to family, friends, whatever. Like, obviously, I had I never said anything to my dad before I put it on Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, there was something easier to be said about that. And even my dad not made a secret that he suffers from anxiety. Like, I knew that. It wasn't like it was a secret. It has never been a secret in our family um, that 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 anxiety and depression can run in the family and but it still was hard it was just easier to say it on a public platform for whatever reason than it was to to just tell him well i mean from from a from a you know a, a community standpoint, thank you for doing that because it i mean it helped me that i was doing a little bit more and and realize even though I didn't really talk to you about it at the time, um, that I wasn't necessarily alone too. So, um, you know, one thing that we want to talk about here on the podcast throughout this series is, you know, sort of some of the things about how it feels and face it every day and that sort of thing. You know, so so some people might be able to find out if they're if they're dealing with this or didn't know it before. So, um, did you struggle with your diagnosis? You know, I didn't really struggle with the diagnosis just because it felt like it was a relief that, you know, something was wrong. And for me, um, when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, you know, I was, I remember I was laying on the bathroom floor with my, the kids were in the bath and I was just crying. And I actually thought like, I wonder if I walk out that side door, you know, would anyone, would anyone notice? Like, and that's when I realized like something is wrong. Like it was never like the thought, I never got to a suicidal point, but it was the point like, I wonder if I just walk away from this life, like if anyone will notice, like, you know, my two and a half, my two year old and my six month old are in the bathtub. I think, you know, someone's going to notice. Um, and that's when I realized that something was, you know, that something was really wrong, um, that I wasn't, but I felt it was almost relieved to have a diagnosis that, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to feel this way. And then when I sought help after that, um, for anxiety and depression, you know, almost two years later, I had been like not cleaning the house or not doing the dishes or, and I, I kept wondering, like, I was really, really tired, which is not, um, some people with anxiety are, you know, can't sleep. It was not, I was the opposite. Like, and that's, that is not an uncommon symptom of anxiety is that like, I had no energy to do anything whatsoever. Um, and I kept thinking like, did I get, did I get lazy? Like what happened that I have no energy? Like I, that I could care less what my house looks like. And I actually look back at like, I tried to hide like the mess in pictures. Like if the living room was messy, I probably wouldn't take a picture of the boys, but every once in a while, there'll be one that pops up that I can see the mess in the background. And I just think like that should have been a red flag to any family member that I've ever had. Like I'm not a type A personality. I don't dust every week, <laughs> but my house is generally picked up. Like and and people commented you know even within my family after 
after I was diagnosed and I had mentioned that they said we knew it, but it was really, there was really not much. Like I would just say, well, you know, I've got two kids under the age of two, like you try and keep it clean. Like, you know, I would just pass it off as, you know, something else as opposed to, you know, sitting down and saying like, there's really something not right. Yeah. Um, so it was those sort of things that I noticed that were way out of character, but that you could pass off as like, you know, life changing events or something else was going on. But you know, if you really sat down and looked at them, like there was something else wrong. Yeah, totally. I know, I know exactly those same exact feelings. I mean, for me, now we know, um, it's my husband who noticed first, but if I stop cooking for more than a few days, um, that's, that's a pretty big, big red flag in our house because that's something that I love to do and I love to feed people. And, um, I had the exact same thoughts, you know, when I was struggling through this last fall and stuff, like, did I get lazy? How come I can't manage to do the dishes? Um, you know, same, same exact thoughts. And, and I think that that, that they're probably pretty common across the board. And so, you know, for anybody listening, if you're struggling with that sort of thing or, you know, 10 hours of sleep isn't enough, like it wasn't for me at one point, you know, 10 hours of sleep ought to be enough for anybody, especially someone without kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, can I, I haven't, um, experience anxiety to the level you have, but I have witnessed and walked through Catherine with her last fall. How do you guys, you know, if you're observing somebody in this situation, you know, the house isn't being cleaned, dishes aren't being put away, and, and it's more than just being overwhelmed and busy. How do I bring it up or how do I approach you guys in a way that's not defensive or that'll get pushed away, but that I can assist with identifying these? Yeah, and that's the part that is the hardest because like I said, I know if like, you know, someone had commented on the house, I'd just say, you know, I've got, you know, they're, I'm tired of cleaning up after them for the 17th time in a row. Um, but I think that, you know, some of it, I think that to a certain degree, it helps to be blunt and to just say, like, are you, you know, is it, is it more than just that they're, that you have a lot going on and a lot of life changes? Is it, is there something else, you know, ask a little bit more pushing, prying questions. Um, I think that that probably would have helped because, and for me, it was like a, it was a terrible cycle. Like the fact that the house was a mess would give me anxiety, but there was enough anxiety and depression that I couldn't find the energy to clean it up. And so it kind of just went in a terrible circle. Um, and, but I think that, you know, there's a chance that more pointed questions would help. And just, I think just being there in constant contact, even if it is a really slow process to get someone to realize it, the fact that you're still there, I think is really helpful. Um, you know, so that they know that you're still, you know, that you're, you're still available for them, that you're still a friend. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, I think that's, those are all really good points that the big problem with mental health is getting the person who's struggling to realize it. Um, and just, you know, I mean, I, I have my own stories in that I didn't, didn't think that anything was wrong. And then when it was clear that something was wrong, I didn't like the diagnosis, but you know, as we've been through this a time or two in my house, um, you know, now that we've been through it a little bit, my husband, like we've talked about questions or things to notice for like my own personal symptoms. But I think if you're trying to help somebody for the first time, I do think one and a little bit more pointed and saying, Hey, like what's what's going on? Can I help? Is is there something you want to talk about? You know, just being being that little even though it'll probably annoy the person. Um 
but helping them to see it more. Um, you know, and that's, you know, this is just coming from me and Michelle having experienced it and in little episodes, going to have some, um, some healthcare professionals, hopefully we'll have a little bit more, you know, concrete tools for us to, to help somebody, you know, in their first struggle. But I basically agree with what Michelle said. <laughs> Well, and I think that like part of this mental health is, is realizing it in yourself, but also helping, helping your friends and family pinpoint when, when things aren't okay anymore. And I, like, I'm trying to help myself identify when I start getting overwhelmed with work or I start like yesterday, I was really overwhelmed and anxiety driven with a quick, like, I've got to get a lot of stuff done forehead back. And just that, like, I could feel myself just starting to, to get like overwhelmed and being like, okay, you're putting this on yourself, take a step back. And today was great. But how, like, I could see how I could get in that deep cycle or down that anxiety and helping myself realize it, but also having friends and family surround me so that they start noticing if it ends up being three or four or five days in a row of that same behavior. Yeah. And I think like even my sister, you know, my sister said when I had said something about being treated for anxiety, she, um, she apologized and said that she knew like that something was wrong and that she should have said more. And I don't think that she needed to apologize, but I just don't like, I'm not quite sure what she would have said, like what she possibly could have said, you know, that would have, you know, made a, a huge difference. I like, I don't blame her for not saying something. Um, but I think, you know, I just think that being there and digging a little bit deeper, especially if it's a really close friend or a, a close relative is definitely, um, definitely important to do. And, you know, the person, you can't help a person that doesn't want to help themselves. So if, um, the person that you're talking to kind of has to have a, a moment where they come to like some form of, um, acceptance, yeah, acceptance and um but just being there and pushing them, maybe pushing them towards acceptance is I think certainly something that would be helpful for anyone that is suffering and hasn't hasn't um you know gotten treatment or accepted that they even short of treatment that they need to, you know, find some way to um get a little bit more control over their emotions and to recenter themselves, I guess is what I'm going for. Um, so moving on a little bit and talking about issues that, that we find in, in real mental health care, did you, I think you've talked about it on, you know, on home platforms, but did you, have you had a hard time finding care in mental health care specifically? Yeah, I did. And that was actually a pretty, um, viral video. I, so I decided that I, I needed to seek help for mental health. And I had reached out to a couple um, counselors and billings and like none of them called back. None of them were seeking new page, new patients. Like, and it came to a point that just the act of seeking um, mental health care was causing me more anxiety than the anxiety was in the first place. And I came to the realization, what I actually realized this time was not only like the not cleaning the house thing was that I thought out couldn't fly. Like, I was struggling to get on an airplane and I've always been a little bit of a nervous flyer, but I can talk myself out of it. I mean, I'm a frequent flyer and 
I, at that time I had had like three trips to DC, two to Florida. Um, and I was just struggling to get on these airplanes. Like I could barely make it through these flights. And I thought like something is really wrong. Like this there's, and there wasn't like, you know, a near crap. There wasn't anything that had, would cause you to actually be more scared of flying than I ever was before. And so I, that's really what pushed me to try and find someone and I couldn't do it. And so I recorded a video, like I'd been driving around one of our fields crying and I recorded a video after I half put myself together, but apparently I still didn't look very good. Um, I put it out on Twitter about how this was stressing me out. And there was so many people that reached out and actually a friend of mine, um, from the wheat growers, he called a counselor that one of his family members was um, familiar with in Great Falls, made me an appointment. And I ended up finding one in Billings, so I didn't have to go to that one. But he actually made me an appointment in Great Falls. He was so concerned. Um, and so I mean, that's, that just shows, you know, the kind of level of, of care and concern that really is out there. If you can just get past your own, you know, your own, your own blinders about, about what these struggles really are. That's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. And so, but that was the point of the video. And really one of my concerns was, and what I was making the video for was not even about myself. I was talking from a policy standpoint or from a rural standpoint. Like I am 30 miles from the biggest city in Billings. We have two major hospitals. Like the biggest employer in Billings is the medical field. Um, and I still can't get mental health care, let alone someone that's out in the middle of nowhere, Montana, that's going to have like four hours to come find mental health care. And they can't even do that. Like, so it's a huge issue to be able to find someone that will take you in and is not four hours away. Um, you know, being able to access telemedicine or some of the other um, online platforms for anxiety and mental health. And the other thing is, you know, we talk about suicides um, because they're incredibly important and a, and a significant issue and the suicide hotline, but we have less of a resource if, like I wasn't gonna call the suicide hotline, I wasn't suicidal, so why waste that resource? Um, exactly. You know, so where do you go if you're not, you know, somewhere in the middle? Um, and I think that was part of, you know, part of what I really wanted to highlight was that we're, we have huge gaps in our availability and you know, I just assume for all basic purposes, we're a suburb of Billings, you know, 30 miles is not that big, uh, very far. Um, but for other people, it's a significant, you know, to not be able to have anything for hours is a huge deal. And when you, when you seek that mental health support, whether it's a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, you want to shop around a little bit and make sure they're a good fit for you. So you want options. And so when you can't even get one person to call you back, let alone a couple that you can sit down and see if you have a connection with, how am I supposed to pour my heart, soul and struggles out to somebody that I don't haven't made that connection with too? <laughs> Which yeah. And that's a, and that's a really, really important issue for agriculture. Cause even the one that I ended up going with and I have not been back in a while, like she was really nice. She was nice enough. Like I could talk to her, but like, you know, we talked about some of the financial issues on the farm and she says, well, what are you, what are you going to do if you lose the farm? You'll just get another job. Like, what? Like, no, like, <laughs> no. I, no, like, yes, yes. And all practical purposes. Yes. Like, and we're nowhere near, like, I'm not concerned about financially losing our farm, but like, if you said that to someone who truly was like, no, like you're not cut out to 
be a counselor for agriculture producers because you can't say that. Yeah, and that person isn't going to go back and they're, you know, they might not even seek counseling again. Yeah, and so, and that's what I mean, like, I, she, you know, I think she was really good at her job, but she just wasn't, like, if that was what I was actually there for, like, that's not, no, no. And, I mean, let's face it, those, those counselors are not cheap. And that's another issue is that, you know, not if you are, like, especially if you're financially, if your anxiety is financially driven from, you know, financial stress on the farm, like, are you going to spend 50 bucks for every half an hour? Like, mm -hmm. probably not. Um, you know, that starts to get kind of a, something that, you know, you're, you've got some privilege if you um, can afford that. And so that's just another issue in agriculture for making it readily available on a fairly, um, I mean, I realize that they have, you know, livelihoods and they have to make money and to be able to have their, um, you know, their own career and their own um, practices. But it's also, we have to be able to make it available for producers at a reasonable, pro reasonable price so that they will, will go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how many producers, you know, aren't necessarily insured or they don't have great insurance um, you know, where you have to pay the entire outlay of, of one counseling session, which can run 150 bucks for an hour. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was paying on and granted, luckily, you know, like I said, uh, we were lucky enough that we're, you know, we're not risking losing the farm and I, we have money in an HSA, but yeah, not everyone has that type of cash to, to spend. And so having other resources available that they can easily find is, is important. And it I is. think that brings up a really good point in today because agriculture prices right now are in the toilet beef like we're backlogged in the beef side of things they're plowing stuff over in florida you can't feed they're not feeding cattle so farmers are struggling dairy's dumping and we don't know where our next paycheck is coming from sometimes and i'm struggling with anxiety do i want to go spend 150 dollars that could feed my family tomorrow on a counseling session but i really need it yeah. And that's, that's the biggest problem. And, and not only $150, like, yeah, it's only going to cost me, you know, a couple of gallons of gas, but if you have to drive from four hours, one, you're, you're not working that day, obviously. And two, I mean, you're, that is another expense. It's not just $150. It's whatever it takes you to drive there. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, highlights even more need for telemedicine um, so that you don't have to drive somewhere. Right. Cross your fingers that if you are that far out in the middle of nowhere, you actually have internet that can support telemedicine. So, you know, right. there's, there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of hurdles for getting mental health um, care, you know, fully out to rural, rural producers and rural areas. Yeah, and just the, just the accessibility is, you know, a huge mountain to climb in and of itself getting people to, you know, to even be open to seeking help is a lot of in agriculture because we've talked about it before, but, you know, you're tough, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a bad day, whatever. There's lots of bad days. Like, get over it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, and hopefully more, you know, podcasts like this or um, any of the stuff that puts it out publicly, I think is definitely important for that it is okay to go out and see, you know, it is, and in fact, it is necessary to go out and seek help. And quite honestly, farmers often need someone to talk to aside from whatever goes on in their head, because we sit in a tractor cab or, you know, horseback in the middle of nowhere and have far too much time with our own thoughts. It's easy to go to dark places. Um, and so having someone to either call, um, you know, zoom calls or to be able to go and see is incredibly important for, 
for our mental health. And I think people um, undervalue how important that can be. Agree, a hundred percent. Absolutely agree. How so, do we educate or get that information out to producers or our friends and family, or our neighbors? Because you know we have these trade organizations, we have NCBA, we have our state organizations, we have the wheat growers, Dairy Farmers of America, all these co-ops and stuff. But sometimes it feels like they're just kind of slapping band aids on and giving us a few resources, but how do we truly connect with these, with our fellow producers and help support them by giving them resources or encouraging them to seek that help? I think the more we have it available, you know, I have a list of resources that I gathered that's on my website. I think the more that it's available, the more, you know, just the more egg bloggers, the more advocates that will put it out on their websites or share it on their social media. I think that that helps a lot. I mean, aside from breaking down the stigma, it may be that someone doesn't say anything, you know, they don't comment, but they have just filed it away under like, I saw that somewhere so they can go back and look and find it or they, you know, they just quietly saved it. And so that they can have it, you know, have it available just so I think the more times that it's just put out there, um, I think that that helps uh, because like we talked about, you know, it's hard to get people to realize it for the first time, but maybe if they, you know, at least they know they've seen it, um, that they know it's available, that it can be a little bit more easily accessed. Um, and it helps to share, you know, like you said, the organizations, yeah, we'll talk about, you know, mental health, we'll work on policy that affects mental health, but you know, there's plenty of agriculture producers that are not part of any of those organizations. So the other, you know, the more places that we can possibly share it, the better. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, that's one of the huge reasons that we're doing this and, and the work that you do on your social platforms is so, so important. Um, and, you know, loving this whole conversation and we could, we could talk about this for days and days. And I think yeah. we will be back to discuss some more, but, you know, just to wrap up with a couple of questions, how do you think that we can break the stigma of, of dealing with mental health issues in rural America? I think that we still have, I think we just have to keep talking about it. And I hope that, you know, as producers like myself will come forward with our, my stories, um, you know, that more and more will do it because I think that the more that say it out loud, that talk about it, that, that share experiences, share resources, I think that you know, that starts to slowly break down that stigma and make it easier and easier. And it, and it may be something that, you know, we find it's easier to talk about it through social media than, like I said, to be able to tell, like, you know, either my dad or my best friend, like, you know, it, it, maybe it is easier to talk about it over social media and people can find that. Um, and um, to be able to find resources without having to ask someone online, I just think that, you know, keeping it up in the forefront of conversations and not necessarily just when, you know, prices are low or just when there's some other type of crisis that or a study comes out that we, you know, we continually talk about it and we continually add resources to pages and, you know, because if someone has a really great agriculture um, counselor that is willing to do telemedicine, like that will let, you know, me put their resources on my page, like I can add it, you know, just send it over to me and I'll add it as soon as I can. And I think the more we continue to do that, um, you know, the more of an impact we'll make it it certainly is going to be a slower, you know, that's not an easy process because really mental health is not addressed anywhere, whether it's rural America or urban America. But 
the more and more you can do it, the the easier it gets. And to to build up more online resources. Because when I worked at UPS and Amazon, we had hotlines for mental health. Those companies pay for hotlines. Um, and, and actually, both of them will give you free, a certain amount of free sessions with through those hotlines. Um, and so large companies have that sort of resource available. And agriculture needs to be able to at least build out a grassroots network where you can find those type of resources. Or, you know, eventually maybe we do have to look at funneling checkoff dollars away from market and promotion, which, you know, some of them are legally bound for bound to, but maybe we do have to be able to build out uh, a mental health network for agriculture um, just to make it readily available for people to find that, you know, it's like I said, that it, it shouldn't give you more anxiety to find help than your anxiety is causing you to begin with. Right. So I think that's, that's a huge part of the stigma is that, that no one knows where yeah, to go. That's totally part of it. I mean, when you're already in that space and the thought of trying to find help that you don't know how to do it is, it just makes things even worse. So I love those suggestions, especially, you know, just the idea of, of crowdsourcing, you know, help from, from across the sector of agriculture and, and utilizing policy and, and other, other avenues to be able to address this massive issue. I uh-huh. really appreciate all of that. And creating, I think, just yeah, starting so this okay. conversation by building that network of mental health support and working with people, you know, that are different than us, like bringing beef and dairy and the crops all together. Like, yeah, we're going to agree to disagree on a lot of topics, but we've got to bring all of us together because mental health is is a big issue in rural America. And if we can, maybe it's checkoff dollars, maybe it's a separate policy that we can dump money, but if everybody puts a little bit in, it can go a long ways. Oh yeah. I mean the budgets of, you know, those, any of those organizations or checkoff dollar, you combine all of them across the agriculture. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge amount of money and it's also a huge amount of lobbying power. And you know, we, yeah, we can disagree on all sorts of things between the commodities, but there should be very little disagreement on putting funds into, um, rural mental health and increasing access and whether that's, you know, like you said, a website or um, just having a resource board somewhere, its own, just somewhere to crowdsource it or whatever it may look like. It, that should be easily agreed on by all of agriculture. There shouldn't be a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of debate or quibbling about the details there. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's definitely something to keep, keep pushing for within organizations and then as well as outside of organizations, it's, um, making it available to everyone, regardless of if you are a member of whatever X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Multi-pronged apo- approaches and making sure that everybody who needs it can have some kind of access. Mm-hmm. And I think we underscore, you know, the importance and granted, I, I honestly don't put much thought into rural um, health centers just because I'm so close to buildings. I'm not really impacted by one. Um, but you know, there is funding for rural mental health center or rural hospitals in the farm bill as part of the rural development titles um, to be able to maintain and increase that funding so that those places stay open um, because it's, it's essential that they're there. It cuts down the travel time. It makes it more readily available and, and to have mental health professionals in those rural hospitals because they're, they're lacking. I believe that there are some counselors, but between Billings and Bismarck, which is like, I don't know, 700 miles, there's only one licensed psychiatrist. 
One. That's Do you know how many square miles are between here and Bismarck? I mean, and I don't know how far north or south you have to go, but the entire state of Montana, probably half of Wyoming and part of South Dakota. I mean, just a huge number of people in square miles that have no access to, they may have access to mental health counselors, but not a licensed psychiatrist. Like that's, that's insane. <laughs> Yeah, that is. That is. And I mean, psychiatrists who can prescribe medications and that's, that's really who you need. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so ensuring that, you know, those rural health centers are properly funded and that we maintain some of that funding through the policy arm, um, you know, the farm bill is, is definitely, you know, important and not something that agriculture can overlook. And encouraging people that have their psychologist degree or are licensed, how can we encourage them to, to go to these rural places, just like rural, rural veterinarians and all the incentives they're putting? Let's put some incentives for mental health professionals in the middle of nowhere Montana, in the middle of nowhere Idaho, in the middle of nowhere Nevada, so that it's easier to drive to battle mountain nevada than winnemucca because it's right there yeah yeah it's definitely important you know for for attracting health and that's what or attracting talent to those areas and those rural hospitals have struggled with that forever regardless of profession but yeah we definitely have to have incentives for mental health care to be able to to move into those hospitals and to i'm sure that they would be full of patients you know that they wouldn't have no problem attracting a full slate of work to do yeah yeah i think you're probably absolutely right about that uh michelle parting thoughts um you know i don't really have any i just if you you know certainly if you're struggling and and you're not even sure and even if it even if they tell you that you know it's, it doesn't quite rise to a level of being actually diagnosed with anxiety and depression it's it's really really important that if you are struggling with certain things that you even if you sit down with your regular health provider and go through the, they have a diagnosis sheet, you know, you you answer questions and they'll give you, you know, they'll give you an idea of what, what is going on and even whether it rises to the level of being on medication and seeking therapy like myself, or if it's somewhere in between that you can, you know, that you can work on your triggers and work on um, getting back to center. I think it's an important conversation to have in it. And it's certainly you know, nothing wrong with seeking that, no different than you would seek help for diabetes or high blood pressure or whatever it is. It, it you know, it's important to take care of yourself and to, um, to seek out help and to, to talk to your neighbors. And if you have trouble talking to, you know, if you can't talk to your neighbors, can't have that face-to-face -face conversation, then you, know, you can reach out to myself or any other, you know, a, a number of people online that talk about it, that if it's easier to talk through a keyboard for a few minutes or for a few days, that's, you know, that's okay too. It's just making sure that you get the help that you, that you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that because we echo that statement, you know, if you need, if you need someone to talk to before you're ready to talk to family or whatever, uh, yeah, Michelle is here, myself, Kylie, we're all here. Um, and you can find us online and we're always willing to talk. And speaking of that, Michelle, where can people find you? Um, I am on uh, most social media platforms under Big Sky Farm Her, um, and also www.bigskyfarmher.com. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but um, I'm also on Snapchat. As awesome, well. awesome. Uh, listeners, we will be sharing Michelle's mental, rural mental health resources um, 
on on our pages as well as on our website. We thank you very much for for being willing to share those resources. Um, we're again so grateful that you came on and vulnerable again for us. We really really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate. It. I'm I'm really glad you guys are doing this uh, this series this month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle.